Well, thanks again for making the time to uh, take the time and tune in, listen in. My name is Jeff Fuller, pastor at Living Hope Wesleyan Church here in Waterbury Center, Vermont, hopefulvermont.org. And we believe people's stories matter. We can certainly learn a lot from one another. And one with a great story is Mrs. Tony Newoff. Tony, welcome back in. Great to see you. Hey, it's great to see you again, Jeff, too. Thanks for having me. Oh, certainly. And on the screen behind me, it's uh, your website, TonyNewoff.com. And if the uh, listener or watcher is uh, unfamiliar with how to spell your name, it's right there on the screen on our YouTube channel, Living Hope Wesleyan Church. But uh, you have written a book, and it's been out almost a year now, coming up on that one-year anniversary. And the title is Before You Split. And uh, behind me, people could see a recognizable face of yourself, but also of your uh, married a partner, your husband, Carrie Newoff. Um, how long have you and Carrie been married? Well, it's been 31 years now. <laughs> and congratulations. Uh, Thank you. Before You Split is the title of the book. I had opportunity to interview Catherine Gordon, the wife of John Gordon, the leadership guru, John Gordon. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I did not really realize who she was or the book she had written, Relationship Grit. But as I read the book and she shared her story, uh, it took a tremendous amount of courage, I guess, on one hand, to share the story. And for you as well, in your book, Before You Split, you talk about uh, some personal times of when Carrie, though he's known throughout the Christian world now as being a great leader, a great man of integrity, but you're married to him, you lived with him. And uh, can you just share, first of all, uh, how much conversation was there about sharing some of those experiences early on in your marriage and in, in the ministry? Well, we definitely did have to talk about what I would be sharing. Uh, it's a very transparent book, Jeff. So we decided that where the painful experiences that we went through um, could actually help people to understand that uh, as church leaders, we don't get a buy, you know, we don't get <laughs> a pass on the tough things of life, including learning how to love your partner, particularly if you've grown up in, you know, in a, in a household where emotional closeness was a challenge. Um, you know, maybe, maybe there are people out there like me who grew up in a very non-demonstrative family. Um, so when it comes to really learning how to love someone else, it's a steep learning curve. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we talked about the stories that we would share without a doubt. Uh, Carrie's my best editor. Uh, so yeah, he was in on the whole thing. And uh, let me pull up the website if I can. And it's just TonyNewoff.com uh, right there. You can find that. And then you can find uh, more information about your podcast. I want to talk about that Smart Family podcast as well. But um, Tony, if you would, could you just share a little bit about being a mom, but also having a career and being married as well? First of all, I guess backing up, how old are your children now? They are uh, almost 26 and 30. 
And that's my daughter is a senior in high school. My son would be a sophomore in college. So we are looking at being empty nesters soon as well. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> but I remember when our kids were younger and my wife worked full time as well as myself being a pastor. And there were times where it was difficult. But on Sunday mornings, people thought we should be or at least we should try to look the part of having everything together. For you and Carrie, talk about those early days. Was there a conversation within the congregations or I guess three congregations early on where you said, we're not perfect and this is who we are? Or did you feel the pressure of trying to put on that good face, even though you had struggles of being married, having a job, raising children and all of those details? Mm -hmm. Well, the congregations we stepped into knew that I would be working outside of our house. And Carrie did make it clear that they were hiring him to be the, the lead pastor. <laughs> and I was definitely involved uh, in, well, leading the churches in terms of my role in the music ministry and uh, the kids' ministries and outreach ministries. Uh, you know, I was involved in all of that, especially in those early years where, we had a lot of need for leadership, but not a lot of bodies to bring along. You know, it's like when you're starting out. Oh, yeah. um, so I think I didn't feel a lot of direct pressure from uh, from the the elders and the people who had been in these congregations before who called us. Um, they were very gracious. Um, but I, uh, but I did feel the the weight of our position. So, so yeah. Generally, even though after we got into a few years of of leadership, we were struggling, as as I do explain quite openly. Um, yeah. But we shared that with a pretty tight circle. Uh, and in the early days, it was mainly our counselor and a few close friends who knew what was going on. We really didn't share it beyond that circle. Right, right. Uh, and I believe the story goes that you and Carrie met in law school. So law school to pastor's wife, uh, were you prepared for that change? Or was that kind of, Carrie, you do the vocational ministry thing, and I'm going to continue my career in law? Well, it was it was a little bit different than, than both scenarios. So when we were at law school, Carrie and I were part of a, a, a group called the Christian Legal <laughs> Fellowship. Um, there are chapters of, of this fellowship uh, across North America, and uh, we had an active one at our school. So we went into ministry both being like-minded, really both being um, completely committed uh, to and zealous about leading in the church. Um, at the same time, I had uh, a license to practice as a pharmacist and as a lawyer. Right. And so in those early days, I was actually practicing pharmacy. Sorry, you know what? In the early days, 
I had my pharmacist license, I had my law training and my articles, but I didn't go back to get my, to, to write the licensing exams until closer to when I was actually going to practice. So there were a few years where I practiced as a pharmacist and, and waited until my younger son was entering school when he went to junior kindergarten. And then I went back and studied the, for the bar exams and became licensed. So, um, so yes, it was not a straightforward path for us, but we made it work. And again, Tony Newoff making some time. Uh, TonyNewoff.com is where you can find more information about her uh, book, Before You Split, as well as the podcast that she co-hosts. Uh, Tony, I just wonder um, about this great reset or the great resignation or whatever term people are talking of all those in vocational ministry, leaving vocational ministry because of COVID or in the middle of COVID or for whatever reason, what can you apply or what advice would you tell people now thinking of resigning from those difficult times early on or even later on in that vocational ministry position that you shared with Carrie? Hmm. Um, are, are, so Jeff, are you thinking of um, couples who are struggling in their marriage yeah, just stressed uh, or, out. Yeah, certainly. Mm -hmm. You know, it, I think it's normal as couples to uh, to get into seasons of struggle. I, I think, you know, when you're going through it, you can feel the panic of, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, am I going to be stuck in a marriage without love for the rest of my life? Like we can get those panic or catastrophizing um, feelings. I would say it's worthwhile to take a step back, take a deep breath, um, get some help, re reach out to a counselor, talk to, you know, talk to your close friends or mentors before you make any decisions. Because being in that tough place, the place that feels very um, painful enough that it's disorienting, um, can put you at risk of following your feelings out the door or making a decision based on the intensity of your emotions at the time. The thing is, there might be a way, um, there may be some, uh, you know, something beneath the surface that you're not paying attention to right now right, right. Um, that would be completely within your power to change. And maybe there's a healing process that God's inviting you into. So I, I, I certainly say as far as marriage struggles go, uh, take a step back, take a deep breath and take it slow because you don't necessarily know unless you do that, what this crisis might be trying to teach you. That's good advice. And thank you, Tony, for sharing that. I, I know for myself, and perhaps it is an excuse, maybe it's a reason, but growing up here in Vermont, uh, I always thought that you had to be kind of weak to see a counselor or have a coach or to have that type of therapy for help. And especially within the local church, maybe it was a denomination I grew up in or just that structure that uh, pastors give help. They don't receive help and how shameful that uh, that thought process is. What type of Christian home did you grow up in or did you grow up in a Christian home that was eager to learn and seek the counsel of others? 
Yeah, that's quite the question, Jeff. Um, <laughs> I, I I grew up in a home that was, I would say, culturally Christ, Christian. Mm -hmm. So uh, we belonged to the Lutheran Church, and uh, we did go to church on Sundays, probably from when I was mid-public school until I went to university. Uh, we, we went during the year, during the portions of the year where we weren't at our cottage. So we're sure. one of the, you know, one of the nomadic <laughs> families who were home in our, in my home city of Belleville from maybe November until April. Um, but for the six months from April until November, we were at the cottage on the weekends. Um, but during the school year, so to speak, um, we would be at church on Sunday. The thing is that the, the church practice that we had really didn't translate into conversations at home or a noticeable impact on our lives. And so I would, that's why I'm saying that I had a culturally Christian experience. We went to church, um, but we didn't talk about the love of Jesus. We, it certainly didn't seem to impact our, our daily lives. Unfortunately, I had a lot of chaos growing up and um, one of my parents was an alcoholic. So it, it was, it was a tough environment, I have to say. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I talk about um, home as being where you learn to love. And I had that steep learning curve. Uh, I know that you and uh, Carrie, you've interviewed and gotten, gotten to know Ian Morgan Cron uh, quite a bit in the Enneagram. When you started to discover that self-awareness, was that something that you were eager to know, or was that something you were a little bit scared to learn from because of how you grew up? Oh, I would say all of the above. I, I mean, certainly once I realized that there was some deep-seated grief or despair mm -hmm. that, you know, for the most part, I was, was probably held behind a wall uh, and you know, I wouldn't notice it because our lives were full. We were busy. I was, I had my professional life. I had the, my volunteer roles at the church. And honestly, I, I went into all of that wholeheartedly, you know, intending to love Jesus through what I was doing. The problem was I got, I reached the point where I recognized that there was a disconnect between my belief and my experience. Basically, you know, what I was assenting to with my mind and what I was experiencing in my heart. So I, I had to recognize that, you know, I was reading the Bible and asking these questions. Okay, so where is love? Like, what is love? What is joy? What is peace? You know, why is that not a part of my experience? And um, it was it was a, a puzzling question. Once the signs of this deep-seated despair started to come through, like I would say they really didn't surface until uh, around the time of uh, the birth of my second son. Then I did go to a counselor partly out of necessity um, and partly out of that curiosity that you mentioned, just yeah. You know, there is something there. I don't know what it is. 
And that's so important that people reach out uh, to others. Tony Newoff making some time talking about her, uh, her book before you split. And I would say, and my wife would say, you're very gracious at certain points talking about your husband in this book because, well, we've had similar experiences. And I just think of when you went camping and you got rained on and, well, Carrie may have acted childish when he just wanted to uh, sleep in the car, go home and uh, come <laughs> back and pack up after. Uh, for you, when I would say, and not about your husband, just about myself, sometimes I can be a petulant child. Uh, <laughs> knowing that you are married or that my wife is married to me and she loves me and she actually laughs when I act that way more than anything. Um, how did you learn that you were not going to change Carrie, but you could change your mindset towards your husband and just grow in patience and love for him as God has done so often for us. Yeah, that was a long learning. I, I think Carrie and I had a power struggle, I would say, uh, a period where our competitiveness, and also just our mutual needs for love and acceptance. You know, we, there were a lot of misunderstandings that we were bumping up against because, probably because our needs for love weren't being met at the yeah, time. Yeah. You know, we were both frustrated with various um, complaints we had and, and, sometimes we just seem to be caught in this vicious cycle of conflict that I now I believe is was the surface manifestation of us just not being really connected at an emotionally intimate level. Um, we, for various reasons, we, we just couldn't do that. And it took us a healing process, the healing of our hearts over time, so that we actually could start to see each other, to connect, to respond to each other. Um, and, and now I would say our relationship is, is just so much different, so much richer than it was before. But there was a long, messy period in between where we had to work that out. Now, I believe in spiritual warfare. Uh, I would say that I'm, you know, uh, central. Uh, everybody thinks that, you know, they're the perfect balance. But some have said vocational ministry brings on more spiritual warfare than other vocations or ministry relationships. Um, what would you tell people that might use that as an excuse to not work out some of these interpersonal skills. They just want to blame Satan or point to the demon in the corner mm. versus saying, I need to change myself to make this a healthy, godly marriage and relationship. Hmm. That is such an insightful question. Um, because I think that we can use spiritual warfare as a, as a shield in a sense, um, an unhealthy shield. Uh, I think, I think we need to look for all of the, um, painful truths before we start to say that, you know, this is, this is simply opposition. It's right, the, right. the enemy getting in the way. Um, it's very tempting to lay blame because that's our tendency, right? That's the, that's the basic garden of Eden problem. That's the fall. We want to blame our spouse. I want to blame Satan. I want to blame anyone else so that I can avoid doing the hard 
and sometimes emotionally painful work myself to face up to my own weaknesses and my own responsibility and swallow my pride and, um, yeah, do the hard work. Yeah. And uh, I know for my wife, uh, there have been points in our local church ministry where it's just been difficult. And for you, could you just speak to that when local church ministry is different than other type of vocations where it just weighs on you? And we are a conduit. I know all the Christian answers that we give it to God and we're just used of him. But sometimes things hang to us or we hang on to things. When you had those times in the local church ministry, and maybe you just more observed what Carrie was going through, how did you learn to give that to God and not try to solve everyone's problems or answer everyone's emails and uh, get through those times? Mm. Oh, it's it's hard. And, and I don't want to mislead you, Jeff. I was actually right there in ministry, you know, with people in messy situations. So I understand your question. Um, and how do you do it? It's, it is absolutely a matter of, of prayer, but I think also, um, one of knowing when and where to draw the boundaries you know, I think there's a lot of astute listening that goes into drawing boundaries in the right places, um, wisdom and counsel. In the early years, we we were lacking for mentors. I was particularly hmm. really lacking a mentor. Um, Carrie had one. I I had I, I didn't have a mentor for. Uh, for the few first years. And that was a, a mistake. It was honestly something that wasn't on our radar screen. Um, but I, I, I would advise everyone who's in church leadership to make sure that you develop those close and honest relationships with people who are a little further ahead um, in the type of leadership that you're undertaking um, so that you are not doing it alone. You know, you need colleagues and um, friends who you can share the journey with and get advice from. Yeah, that's great advice. And uh, I was thinking of a pastor, uh, our district, we just had our district conference, district, 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 sorry, district assembly uh, this summer where we all got together. And because of COVID, we didn't, um, we we're unable to do that last year. And our pastor retired and he said, I'm most proud that my wife still loves me and my children still love the local church. And I thought, wow, what a testament to what success in vocational ministry can look like mm -hmm. for you. When you think about your two children and the different stage of vocational ministry you guys are in now, not necessarily uh, leading a local church, though certainly still a part of Conexus. Can you talk about what success looks like now for you versus when you first started? Uh, well, you know, success is faithfulness. I think success means uh, assessing the opportunities there that are in front of you, bringing them before God and honestly standing in the counsel of the Lord and also listening to the the close voices around you the ones who you know have a good assessment of 
where you're at, what your gifts are, what your opportunities are, where your weaknesses lie, um, and um, deciding on, you know, what is the faithful next step um, and carrying it out with open hands. So, uh, you know, I'll just give the book for an example. You know, I offer this book out into the world. Um, Success for me has to be the faithful carrying out of every part of that book writing process, as well as all the parts of the launching and then, you know, the conversations that happen afterward. I can't I can't just arbitrarily choose um, a measure of success for that work Um, because who am I to say I, unless I've actually audibly heard from God um, what, you know, a a prophetic vision of what this will look like, then um, my role is really to hold it out on a platter with open hands and accept that, you know, this book may be intended for the purpose of saving one couple, one couple's marriage, or it may be for 10, or it may be for thousands or tens of thousands. And and that is not for me to define, um, but it is for me to be faithful with all of the steps. And so much of that, I think, comes with maturity. And there are some things that only maturity can teach, and maturity takes time and uh, recognition that uh, we are not our own. But uh, Tony Newoff, before you split, we're talking about her uh, book. You can find more at TonyNewoff.com, but also the Spark Family podcast. Did this podcast become uh, something out of the book, or was this prior to the book where you thought about co-hosting the Smart Family podcast? Yeah, this is something that just came about through conversation with um, my good friend, uh, Dr. Rob Meter. We both were in positions where we witnessed families in distress. So for me, it was um, the the couples and parents who were going through the separation process. And uh, in Rob's case, it's uh, that he sits with, with children and their parents um, with many, you know, very challenging um, mental health problems, behavioral problems, some of which are related to, you know, what's going on in the home. And so together, we thought, uh, we just wanted to offer some resources that would help raise the tide for families in general. You know, how can um, having some conversations with um, experts and thought leaders um, give people a a clear understanding of uh, how to connect with their kids, how to resolve conflict, you know, how to give a sincere apology and clear the air in your marriage, you know, all these different um, resources that, um, that families can use and hopefully will bring healing for couples, peace for kids and um, glory to Jesus in the end. Oh, that's so good. Uh, could you just share, Tony, what type of law did you practice? For many years, I was in health law because my path was was pharmacist first and then worked as a pharmacist through law school, um, practiced um, pharmacy and health law for many years in our local hospitals and was involved in um, hospital leadership in various ways. And then I had this um, calling to 
to, to protect kids basically. And I thought it would end up being child protection law. In the end, I practiced family law um, mm -hmm. for several years and then realized that this um, advocacy on behalf of kids would look like basically what I'm doing right now. Yeah. It was a bit of a winding path to get there. Uh, I just find it curious and it kind of makes me smile just with your book. You just mentioned that some of the characters, uh, you've changed their names or their composite characters. You don't have any specific person in mind when you write uh, these stories. First question is, how many of your people, friends, have come back and said, hey, was that me in that book? Did, did you mention me in your book? Has that ever come up? <laughs> no, I am thrilled to say that that number is zero. Um, I did use composites. There are some themes that you recognize as you practice family law, or if, if you're a divorce attorney might be the term you're familiar with. And, and these, uh, unfortunately, these themes are something that you see over and over and over again. Um, but yes, all of the actual characters in my book are fictional. And I, I love how you uh, say before you split the title of the book, because so many families, I feel as though in this day and age, I sound like that old guy that says, get off my lawn, but they feel as though, well, divorce, hey, if things don't work out, just get divorced. And if you get remarried and that doesn't work out, just get divorced. But what caution would you say to people that just think, hey, it's a viable option. And I know there are certain things where um, you want to protect uh, the individuals involved. But for those that would say it's an easy way out so you don't have to resolve conflict, what advice would you give? Hmm. You know, from what I've seen in my practice, it really doesn't feel like an easy way out for anyone. It's yeah. it's hard. It is a, it's a genuine journey of grief. Um, now, by the time some people end up in my office, they've gone through most of the grieving. Their separation might have happened three or four years ago, and they're finally coming to get the, the legal issues straightened out and finalized. Um, but um, no, it's, uh, um, I, I don't think it really ever is an easy way out. Um, but I think it can become a normalized way out. So there is research that shows that um, for friends in friendship circles. Um, if you have a friend who's divorced, you're actually more likely to be, to be divorced yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, so that divorce tends to happen in clusters. Um, it's not a foregone conclusion, but that's just the, that's just what these researchers uncovered, uh, uncovered in terms of patterns of behavior. So it's good to be aware of, I, I think the useful part of that research is that, um, sticking up for your friend's marriages may actually be something that comes back to you. And, and it's so important to intentionally cultivate friendships with people who are for your marriage, you know, where you can be mutually supportive. That's really good. And uh, besides listening to the Smart Family Podcast, uh, I say that kind of tongue in cheek because at our church, we have a small congregation here in, you know, central Vermont. But there are families that have gotten divorced and there's children involved. And as a local church, we're trying to figure out how can we reach out to these kids that while well, we have one parent um, that has said, well, they're so young, it won't even affect them. What would you tell the lo local church about reaching into these children's lives and how we can do so effectively? 
Mm-hmm. I think anything you can do to just come alongside and love kids who are hurting this way um, is, is will have way more impact than you think. Uh, kids go through this process and, and, you know, they'll respond to it differently. Some will be vocal, some will be very quiet and, you know, won't express uh, the, the full extent of their, their feelings and mm. the, their responses. So I think just showing love in, a, in an open-handed way, nothing weird, nothing forced, um, but just letting kids know that, that you're there, that you love them. If they ever want to talk, you're available or just take them out for ice cream. But yeah, being there to, to show love is so important. I've heard from adults who have gone through the experience of a divorce in their, their church, you know, when they were young, when they were children and their family having experienced a kind of shunning because mm-hmm. they divorced and the, it, it threw that childlike faith for such a loop for some of those um, kids. They, they grew up feeling betrayed, abandoned. They wondered, you know, where the love was, you know, when they really needed it. And it was a big step for them to come back to church as adults and then share that story. So I just raised that for uh, awareness that, you know, kids get caught in the crossfire. Um, But there are things that we can do as a church to make sure we come alongside them and love them and provide a place, a safe place for them. Yeah, and it's so important that we do. Uh, your husband, Carrie, just came out with a new book, At Your Best, which I've really enjoyed. And I went through the High Impact Leader, and uh, I'm going through At Your Best, and I'm like, wow, this is like really good. And this is kind of like the High Impact Leader, but even a little bit better. Uh, but I say that to ask you, following before you split, do you have another book in the works? Is there something else that you would like or give commentary to? Well, I think I am going to write again, Jeff, but I'm not settled on what exactly I'm writing about. So um, I guess that'll have to be a question for the future. (laughs) Oh, well, that's good. And uh, I do think about um, all the statistics that have come out and even though uh, even those that we've personally been involved in that that are really struggling in their marriage. And I just want to ask a couple of topics. One is because of financial issues, financial concerns. What would you say about budgeting or to that family that they say, Jeff, even if I budget, even if I tithe, there's still not enough money to go around. And that financial piece is just causing way too much stress. Oh, that is one of the hot topics, uh, Jeff. Um, Sometimes I think we get into trouble over finances because we just have maybe opposite interpretations or responses from what happened in our childhood, our beliefs around money, you know, the expectations around money that we've brought with us along the way into our marriage. And uh, unless you've had an open and honest conversation about how you're going to approach your finances, it can end up being chaotic and sometimes weirdly secretive or um, 
you know, it becomes a hot button issue yeah. that's very hard to discuss. Um, actually, recently, we had a conversation uh, with um, a, a lawyer in Atlanta, Aaron Thomas, who is about to be on our podcast within the next month or two. And he has a, a, a great little ebook for people. Uh, I think it's called The Seven... Um, seven financial strategies, oh, seven financial, you know what, I will have to get you this name afterward. Um, but it's an ebook um, by Aaron Thomas of Aaron Thomas Law. And I, I was thinking that's just such a hugely important resource um, because he gets people to think about these things even before getting married. That's so good. And uh, just being teachable, I've just found that some people, they feel as though their family, even though they did it incorrectly or correctly, that's the only experience that they wanted they have. And they feel like, uh, my family did it bad. This is where I learned. This is the only way. And I also was talking to someone, and they said that sometimes with money, when you don't have a lot, you feel as though you deserve going out to lunch when you have mm. a paycheck. And that really takes away from the family. And I want to ask this carefully, but also ask it with uh, sexual infidelity. Some people feel or seem as though, well, I deserve that look at pornography. I deserve to add this counterfeit to the intimacy that God would have in my marriage. Could you just speak to some of those issues that seem as though real life, it seems as um, the increase in women looking at pornography as that of men and how destructive is that to families that are looking at divorce that if they wipe that out, that would really cause a lot of healing to take place? Hmm, that's such a complex issue. Um, and I feel like I'm at a bit of a loss to speak about it with uh, any authority. Um, I would just say that it's it's a complicated issue. and um, But I've heard people, I've heard testimonies of people who have uh, found their way in their marriage um, through to a place of, of healing. And it's, so it's definitely possible to do, but it's very difficult to approach something like a porn addiction without help. And yeah, hearkening back to what you said before, like on the contrary of it being weak or, you know, a sign of failure to reach out to a counselor. Um, I, I just see it as a, as a, a strength. I mean, it, when you go to a counselor, you go to somebody who has the training and also the experience of helping people move through these problems. And they've got insight that you, you haven't been in that position you don't have. So the the potential is that they're going to take you further faster in addressing your problems because they're going to see your blind spots. They're going to know what it is that you just, you, you're not aware of. Um, so I would say, yeah, don't jump to the conclusion that it's a problem that can't be solved. Uh, but there. I know people who have gone through the healing process and have ended up in a beautiful place in their marriage, having gone through that healing journey. 
And such wisdom to uh, remind us to go to a professional, an expert, someone that has training and counseling when it seems as though whether it's social media, everybody has an opinion. And sometimes we think our opinion is the only way, but just for yourself with uh, a law degree and practicing law, opinion sometimes did not matter as much as facts and going to someone that knows the facts is uh, is just so important. Tony Newoff, TonyNewoff.com. The name of the book is Before You Split. Again, I listened to this on Audible while I read it and highlighted and underlined uh, the hard copy. And so uh, I bought two copies, I guess, from you, but it was helpful for me to remember and to look at. As you look back at writing this book, and it's been, well, nearly a year, probably uh, 10 months that it's been out, what changes would you have made or done differently with the release of Before You Split? Hmm. I can tell you about changes with the writing of it. I've, I, I think I, you see, as I was writing the book, I was really learning a style of writing that I hadn't had much practice with before um, because my prior writing had been for a law journal, for example, you know, quite a dry, more clinical style of writing. So I had to learn a different voice basically. And I was finding my voice as I was going through the editing and revision process. So I would actually have rewritten chapters two and three again. Mm -hmm. I think I could have smoothed out those chapters. Not that I don't think they're good. I think they're good. Um, but I, I, I feel like my writing journey, you can see more evidence of my writing journey in the later chapters of the book, which I feel, uh, I, I hope that when people read the book, if they're finding chapters two and three to be a little drier, perhaps, or maybe a little bit too long winded, um, that they would keep going because I think that it's, uh, uh, I don't know. I feel like it's a an arc of a book, so I wouldn't want people to miss the later chapters for the sake of the earlier ones. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, if I could ask, and I guess it's personal, but um, I think it's relatable as well. When Carrie Burnout, as he's so open about, that happened several years ago now, did you take on responsibility yourself for seeing that happening and not saying anything or responsibility that you led into it because of some of the reasons mentioned in the book before you split? Well, that was a tough season for us, Jeff, because while Carrie um, burned out in that summer of 2006, I also experienced a depression, a clinical clinical depression. So it was a very tough season. I think through that season, the only way we could get through it was by developing a, a, a greater level of compassion for each other. And mm. I think it, I think it actually helped us turn the corner to, um, cooperate with each other at a deeper level because we needed to for survival. I mean, just yeah. to be able to look after our kids and keep putting one foot in front of the other and, you know, managing our responsibilities. Uh, we, yeah, we, it, it changed us. Um, I, I can't say that I took on more. I think that it's just that we were forced to work together in a way that we hadn't before. Hmm. 
And I think that is a great way to close this time together and a reminder that as we are hopefully nearing the end of this pandemic, as we go through COVID-19, that we understand we certainly need one another and to show empathy and love and care for each other is just so important within a marriage, within a family, but also within the local church. And Tony, I do. I thank you so much for your honesty and openness to share in your book before you split some of the struggles and the things that we all relate to, but sometimes Christians are too proud to acknowledge or to say out loud. And I am just blessed by your writings and by how God is using you. So personally, I thank you for doing that. And uh, as we close, would you just say a prayer for all the moms that... uh, are figuring out how to balance loving Jesus and serving the church, but also giving care to their families in every other detail that takes place. Sure. Yeah, I'd be honored to do that. Yeah, let's pray. Dear Lord, I just want to thank you for Jeff and for his ministry. Thank you for his church and his love for the church. And uh, Jesus, I, I just pray that you would uh, hold the hearts of each woman who is, um, who is listening, who listens to you and also serves their family in love, um, who maybe right now is struggling in their marriage, um, is, is uh, experiencing a challenge in communication or connecting with their husband. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work, um, that the, the light that only you can bring would shine into the middle of their marriage, illuminate any darkness that's there. Uh, Lord, please um, lead each one, each couple into uh, a relationship um, that is healed by grace and love, um, that is a refuge in this world, and um, that speaks to their children about the reality of your amazing love. And God, I pray that you would bring um, healing for couples, uh, that you would bring more and more of your peace into our homes and families. Um, and that all of this would bring glory to your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Tony, thank you so much uh, for making the time and uh, being a part. We wish you all the best, and uh, thank you again. Hey, thank you, Jeff. And that's Tony Newoff, tonynewoff.com. The name of the book is Before You Split. Before You Split, you can find that on Amazon or at her website, tonynewoff.com, as well as the Smart Family Podcast. Just add that to your list. Subscribe, listen, and uh, certainly enjoy. My name is Jeff Fuller, pastor at Living Hope Wesleyan Church, hopeforvermont.org. And uh, our hope is to be like Jesus. And he was for people, so we want to be for you as well. Thanks, everybody.